everyone, my name is Daphne Iking, aka Pons. And I am Shelly Bustawans, aka Fluff. And just to preempt you guys out there, if you hear thunderstorms, it's because there's thunderstorms out there and it's okay. It's quite apt actually because today we're going to be talking about postpartum blues or not or postpartum emotions that happen right after moms give birth. So I gave birth exactly 11 months ago today from the day. Wow. Achilles is now 11 months old and 11 kg. Wow, so nice the number, 11-11. Mm-hmm. The reaction from God was so clearly very, very nice. I know, you and your, yeah, the, the lighting, the, the thunderstorm came like, suddenly. Yeah, okay, so... And how's it been so far? How, how do you feel after 11 months? Oh, wild ride, yo. I have children, but I've never had them from day zero, except for Achilles. So, when he was born, it was very um, shocking. Not shocking, I think overwhelming is is the word, but very passively overwhelming because it felt like uh, I've got to take care of this baby and make sure it doesn't die and you cannot return it and you've got to kind of keep it alive because if you don't, you get arrested, right? So that was, it was a a big thing that I was thinking about. But I was also trying not to be overly uh, like a helicopter mom I want to be one of those mothers that is just overly conscious about everything because, you know, he's going to grow anyway and he's got to go through some things like fall down or whatever. So it was very hard striking the balance between the two. Cheryl's a little bit different because uh, in your case, you became a mom first, you know, and then you had a child of your own from your own womb. Yeah. And when you, you, you sort of, you know, you're sort of that sort of person that sort of plans in a way and what was initially ideal for you was uh, vaginal birth, mm-hmm. which yeah. turned out to be a long labor, right? I was actually yeah, man. supposed to be due in the middle of October. Achilles, uh, I went into labor on the 2nd of October and uh, I was in labor for 14 hours and then I had to go through an emergency C-sec because Achilles' heart rate was dropping and I was not fully dilated. When they cut me up, when they cut me out, cut him out of me, cut me up, uh, it re- we realised... Boy, they did cut you up. <laughs> it sliced me open. It's the term I like to use. So when they sliced me... Um, big girl. <laughs> yes. We realised that I couldn't have gone through a vaginal birth anyway because Achilles was too long. And he was too long for my body. Wow. He's a regular sized baby, but too long for me. So when they cut me over, they're like, oh, no wonder. Like, Is that even normal? My God. Couldn't, yeah, oh. no wonder you couldn't have a vaginal birth. It's because he was actually uh, too long. The change of plans okay. definitely affected me a lot because I, I'm right. a producer, as I've mentioned before. I like things going according to plan, but clearly Achilles mm-hmm. has his own agenda, which seems to be the dynamic of our relationship. <laughs> I'll be like, I want to do this. And Achilles is like, no, I'll do whatever I want. I don't care. It, it was, I, it really affected me, the fact that I had to be uh, C-sec. I had to have an emergency C-sec because 
I don't like uh, operations. I have a very low pain threshold. And even though the CSAC was, was perpetually painless because I was doped up on, you know, morphine and oxygen, and I also had an epidural, um, the aftercare or the postpartum care of a CSAC is a lot more painful, I hear, than, you know, a vag vaginal birth because you've got stitches and because they are essentially slicing you open and then stitching you up. And then you've got all this like postpartum stuff going on inside, but you also have to take care of the external wounds. So it was a lot. It was a lot the first few days. It was so much pain. It was so much uh, blood. And, you know, at the same time, you're a new mom. You're trying to learn how to breastfeed your baby. The baby's waking up every two hours. And it was, it was a lot. It was just so much. And this was even with, like, a confinement lady. So that's what happens when you have an emergency C-sex. Everything just kind of goes to shit. Okay? So, yeah. But you... <laughs> You choose to get sliced open, and how was that? When well, you... I didn't really have a choice because uh, my first baby was an elective uh, cesarean. It was a surgery that I, I chose, thinking that it would be my easy way out and because she was my first. But after that, the second one, we tried VBAC or vaginal birth after cesarean. We couldn't do that. Third one was automatically Caesar. I thought I was done. So the fourth one was automatically, the doctor said, we're going to be slicing you up at this and this date, earlier than expected, and all went well. So yes, I was, in a sense, prepared because I've gone through it like three times already. Uh, but I, at the same time, like no, I mean, no matter how prepared you are, that you know exactly what time you're going in, what the procedure is going to be, but it still is different at every uh, surgery, right? So for me, because I think I was just mentally affected only because one, it was an expected blessing, and two, it was during the bloody friggin' MCO. And at that point, a week just before we were about to deliver, um, there were still talks about my husband not being able to go into the OT because of the whole COVID thing and we were prepared to pay a little bit extra for all the hospital staff to be in their PPEs and stuff like that. We were because I wanted my husband to be there. Um, yeah, so that was that. And uh, but luckily the hospital policy changed and they said, okay, as long as he does the um, COVID test three days before you go into surgery and he's all okay, then we can proceed. So that was a big relief. But yeah, coming back, we had no helper and we was doing no MCO. So I actually had to leave our young kids at home while he had to travel back and forth. And of course, naturally, I'm in pain, but I miss my husband, but I'm kasihan my Anna at the same time, like, are they going to be okay without us there? You know, so that, that was also putting a toll on me mentally. And, and also because, yeah, during the MCO, I was like, I had no income for the next, uh, for that past three months. So that was really, you know, it was emotionally putting a toll on me, physically, mentally, and emotionally. So it was not the greatest feeling uh, uh, um, receiving Elon, even though he's such a blessing. But damn, girl, postpartum blues is real. And they say that it's not, but it is. And uh, whether I really did have the blues or not, but I definitely felt the stress and the... Um, pressure postpartum depression or postpartum blues is i think very difficult to i don't know if it's difficult to diagnose because i am clearly not a medical practitioner but i would right. assume it is actually kind of hard to spot in a way unless it's really extreme because if you read up about postpartum depression it shows you all these symptoms but Correct. they are like 
very subjective symptoms. Like they say things like the inability to perform daily tasks. So yeah. that's that's varying because I could be functionally doing the things I need to do, but at the same time feel like crap. You know what I mean? And I could be feeling, uh, you know, feeling horrible and and thinking about, you know, killing myself or killing my baby, but at the same time still like doing stuff for the baby or going to work or whatever. So you never know. And how many women have been told that they're just being emotional even without being pregnant? And then when you get pregnant, they tell you, "Oh, this is normal because your hormones are still trying to get back to normal. That's why you're a little bit extreme." Uh, you know, you're just feeling a little bit emotional. It will pass. So you don't really feel like you need to deal with it or handle it, right? Or you think it's normal because memang lapenat. Because one of the you're right. One of the symptoms that they have is extreme fatigue, or exhausted, exhausted, or or irritability, irritable. You're irritated. You're irritated. <laughs> basically, blah, blah, yeah, yes, irritated. <laughs> which is all under that same roof. Yeah. You know what I mean in that sense. Mm. So you can't really diagnose per se. I think the only thing that I was probably my doctor did say or sort of diagnosed me as having PPD was when I was with Iman, my second child, and I think it was very difficult because I didn't have any family support and to um, there was a lot going on. My husband and I at that point we were not as solid as we were before, and I actually threw. Iman, with the intention of hurting her, with the co- with, with co- like, like I really wanted to like, dam diam lah, you know. Mm. She was so colicky, and I diam lah, da da cukup, then da da da, you know. And yeah. I was going really bonkers and mad. So that was probably an indication that I was suffering a bit. But again, like you said, it wasn't. It was more. Is it just me not being able to manage my anger or my emotions? Yeah, when you're a naturally uh, dynamic person, or you're a naturally, uh, I guess. Yeah, a passionate person with your temper, uh, like I am. <laughs> it's even. I don't believe. Don't bluff. My bl- my fluff doesn't it. bluff. Yes, I am quite temperamental. Oh, I used to be like now. I'm just tired, so I have no time to be angry at things anymore. Too tired to be angry. <laughs> Too tired to be angry. You're just like, oh, it'll take so much effort. Never mind. But uh, you tend to wonder if uh, this is a. A feeling because of who you are, or because of the postpartum depression. I felt in the earlier days when Achilles was not as communicative as he is now, when he was crying and everything, it was obviously clear he was either hungry or dirty. But it was also times when you would have to wait for the milk because uh, I pump right, so you have to warm up the milk. Then you'll have to wait mm-hmm. for the milk. So when you have to wait for the milk and 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 he's crying. You get very agitated, and you just like want him to keep quiet, and you feel, or I felt, a lot of um, anger lah. It was irrational, and I knew it was irrational, but I felt it anyway. But I didn't know if it was uh, depression coming on, or if it was just because I was just generally not into crying babies. It's interesting how you say, "Why aren't you communicating?" Communicating because babies. Can only communicate by crying. That's how they communicate, exactly. I think even with a strong family support, uh, which I, I have in a way, uh, my my in-laws are always uh, here and they're always ready to to take my children if I need them to take my children. Uh, my mother so lucky. is. Yeah, uh, my mother is uh, slightly different. She will, she will entertain my children, but she is also a form of stress because she. Well, 
come and tell us everything that we're doing wrong with the kitty. Like, you're not changing his diaper fast enough. When he cries, you should immediately feed him. Why do you let him like, like sit on the grass? Why do you let him like put thing, put his fingers in his mouth? Why do you keep his hair long? So that's a different, that's another form of stress, right? <laughs> but she's also like supportive in her own way, lah, I guess, okay? So um, there is family support, but at the same time, there's also all of this other stuff that goes on, right? And I tend to, I tend to think about that in a very in-depth manner, where sometimes my husband's like, you need to not think so much about it because it really actually doesn't matter. But to me, it matters. But does it actually really matter? Or is it just all these like hormones and emotions manifesting it to, to matter? Has it know? sort of, now that your son is 11 months old, has it sort of festered down? Or are you able to sort of manage your emotions better or because he is able to communicate better? <laughs> How is it now? How is I, it now? I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I was very ready to feel the postpartum blues because I had a very bad pregnancy. And throughout right. my pregnancy, I was irritable. I was very angry. I was very short-tempered, uh, more so than usual. And I was just not having it. La. I was having a bad time. Like, everything hurt. I was heavy. I was, like, fat. I felt really fat. I felt really uncomfortable and upset. So, I sort of saw indications that I might get a case of postpartum blues. There were times where I, I guess I would call them episodes la, or, you know, moments when I would feel really, really bad. But I would immediately like check myself or take a step back and I'm like, oh, maybe this is it and maybe this is coming. So I would do something to immediately try to feel better. So I would maybe like give the baby off to someone else to take care for a while and then take some time to myself or I would make plans to go out with my friends or you know talk to talk to somebody not necessarily about the baby but about anything else but the baby because sometimes that's all you need really exactly and that's just it you and i well you especially you being a first time well not well first time mom to a boy of your own you sort of preempted yourself okay this might happen knowing that i had a shitty pregnancy and because i had that episode with iman me wanting to like deliberately hurt her my husband and i knew that we had to be mindful about my post-pregnancy, you know, my postpartum, if, if there's any incidents that I, I get a bit off, then we know how to address it. But there are moms out there who are probably in denial or don't know that it's wrong or say that, ah, kenapa saya tak macam dia? Ah, tak apalah, tahan, tahan, tahan. But how much can you tahan? It's like a pressure cookie, you know what I mean? And one day you're just like, boom, that's it. Especially if you don't have the support. You and I both have amazing husbands. Okay, have to yeah. like kudos lah, kudos lah. <laughs> then, we, yeah, we've got amazing husbands who are very supportive, very hands-on. Can you imagine those, like, I get so many DMs where the husbands really don't give shit. Yes, you see, you smile, you know already, you know I know. But they really don't give shit. They really think that it is up to the wife to handle every single thing, including the husband's needs of melanchapkan or I'm sorry I'm saying it over, but yes, it even like, like, you know, I'm, you know, since we can't have sex, yeah, can you at least lunch up me? You know what I mean? They are. So I get DMs like that and that drives anyone bonkers. I dengar, baca pun macam, ya Allah, tolonglah. So yeah, no wonder the person gets stressed. I think it's very common for women. Uh, I don't think women talk about postpartum depression a lot. I think women spend a lot of time. Hi. Women spend Hi, a lot of time uh, just 
trying to deal with it themselves. And all these external factors are to everybody else just, oh, but she's a new mom, you know, so obviously she's going to be a bit down. Yeah, she's a new mom, so she's, she's you know, obviously still trying to lose the weight or whatever. Yeah, obviously she's going to be a bit tired, kan, yeah. And then they normalize it. They normalize the fact that you're supposed to feel shitty, but you're really not. My mother-in-law especially was always, even before uh, when I was pregnant and even before uh, my pregnancy, she was always telling me that you just need to like relax. You just need to relax, you know. Don't be so stressed. And, uh, but how to relax, Cheryl? How? But she would, she would say, if you ever need anything, I'm here. So that was, that was good. But after the, the pregnancy and uh, knowing full well that I might have all these like negative emotions or whatever, there were constantly, I was constantly checking myself and I wasn't afraid to take the time that I needed because I knew that that was yeah. what everybody needed. But women don't take the time that they need most of the, most of the time because they feel bad. They feel guilty because it's their baby. They feel like, uh, you know, it's asking a lot. And also, I think women judge them for taking time to themselves, which is weird. You really shouldn't. Like, um, ya Allah, you tinggalkan dia seorang. Awal-awal dia tinggalkan dia seorang. You dah paham awal-awal. A lot, of, a lot of women ask me, uh, so who's taking care of your baby? Then when I say like, oh, the father. The father is taking care of the baby. I'm like, oh, that's so nice of him. Like, Not really. He's the father. That's part of his job, like co-parenting. Yeah. Oh, your uh, bapa dia babysit. I'm like, babysit? What the fuck? He doesn't babysit. Yeah. He parents the kid. Yeah. So babysit, babysit women, all. So women like you and me will fight that kind of statement, but other women will take right. it very personally, and that's really bad. Yeah. Yeah, so it's already ingrained like you're supposed to take care of your child. You're supposed to take care of your child. You're supposed to take care of your child. But you know, you and I are both strong personalities. We're very, I I like to think we're strong personalities. And we like to think, we've got very supportive husbands and stuff. But even then, even then, I don't know about you, but for me, I've got girlfriends who say, you know, come lah, come out, I say belanja you sekejap two hours, you know. And and I'm I'm sure my husband would be more than willing to take him for a while and he's done that before i mean i went out for a quickie with you a quickie a quickie with you but that's to say after the macam at the back of my mind i felt guilty like Allah, kasihan, kasihan my husband has to do oh, oh. and then you know your tete will ng -ng -ng -ng, like it's indication that he needs his his milk right and i'm like Ng -ng, oh is he gonna be okay you know I'm, I'm chatting with cheryl here having my little catch-up but this at the back of my mind i'm like so we need to stop that but don't know how to stop that at the same time are we still overloading ourselves with like you know trying to be everything at the same time i feel mostly guilty because i feel as if i'm not as on par with my work like my to-do list has become longer and longer because i've not done yesterday's work or the day before that and i'm not giving myself some credit i'm not giving myself any you know uh leeway to go and catch up with my friends because i'm someone that needs to meet up with my girlfriends you know, I'm not someone that just is happy to just bachamni. I need to see the person. I need to hug the person. I'm very physical in that sense. So, yeah, but at the same time, I feel guilty. Once I'm out there, it takes me a while. I'll plan, plan, plan that once I'm going out there, like going out, like, you sure or not? Okay or not? You're going to be okay or not? Okay or not? And I'll be thinking. Yeah. When I'm actually there with my friends, then I feel happy. Yeah. But I can't help but feel a bit guilty yeah. leaving the baby or the kids alone. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, think I think we I, should. We should. Yeah. I got over that. Um, before because uh, when I became a mom the first time it happened very instantly and so the the transition was also a bit rapid and 
I was at home a lot uh, in the first, I would say, six months. And it took a lot for me to, to start going out again. So by the time Achilles came, I was like a pro at it already. I would like, I know, <laughs> plan my time and whatever, whatever and whatever, and I just do it. So I didn't feel that. What do you think though is the reason for why, like we're lucky, we're strong personalities and we have husbands who understand that co-parenting is co-parenting. But why do you think the Malaysian mentality is to just leave everything to the mother? And why is there no support among women? I was really lucky also when you came along during the MCO and everything and we were talking to each other, even though we didn't, we only got to see each other like once, twice. And that mm-hmm. was like after the MCO, but throughout the whole MCO, we were kind of like talking to each other. And there was almost still... every single day. Yeah, and there was a lot of support there. And I've got friends like you to talk to. And I've also got friends who are like other mothers who are in a way uh, helpful to share experiences with, but also sometimes know because they're having a really good time because they only have one kid. So it's a little <laughs> bit different. So you're the only person that has a situation that is actually quite similar to mine because you've got more than one kid and they're about the same age and they have sort of the same kind of needs, you know? Wants and needs and demands. Yeah, but like my other friends who are new parents are new parents, like fresh. This is their first kid. So yeah, we can talk about sleepless nights. We can talk about whether our babies are walking or crawling or eating solids, but I don't understand the kind of emotional toll it takes to split yourself to parent three different types of children. Of different age groups. Of different age groups. And looking after the household and your husband's needs at the and same also time. And also with your work that you are really passionate about and you also don't want to slack Correct. on. So, exactly. Yeah, so it's juggling so many things at the same time. So now, imagine mothers who also have to do all of this but don't have someone to talk to because... People are telling them, you're just going to buat je. you just suffer je. you just going to buat je. Lepas tu okay dah. Lepas tu okay dah. It's not, lepas tu okay dah. Lepas tu it's not okay. I think we need to change that mentality, that 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 culture to normalize that it's going to be okay. And people just, people in terms of their support system really does need to stand up. And the woman or the mother herself needs to be able to let go. I think the problem, like even for me, I feel as if I'm like, I, I rasa bersalah lah if I don't do it. Not so much because, for instance, the cleaning of the house, because I'm anal about how things are being done. But even then, I can't let go because I feel it is my job. It is my responsibility. And I am proud to be able to do this for everyone around me. But I and should be like able to learn to let like- go. Four, three, four in the morning. Yeah, because that's the only time when no one else disturbs me. But yes, I really feel that we don't have enough, um, uh, what do you call that? Support here in Malaysia. I don't think we still talk about it. We have all this like in October, Mental Health Awareness Month, but I don't think it's plugged in uh, as much. Did you know, I did not know this yesterday, but May is actually Postpartum Depression Awareness Month. No way. So there is. See, I didn't know that. I thought October only mental awareness. I found that out in an article dated three years ago where they spoke to women who suffered postpartum depression. So Damn, girl. But it did not offer any resources for Malaysians to reach out. So there is, at the moment, no specific resource for women to go to to speak to anybody about postpartum depression. 
unless you can afford private therapy or if you want to go to a government hospital for therapy, which is still not specific to postpartum depression, there is really no like out there resource for you to talk to. That, you know, that, the closest that I found was Befrienders, which is basically a line for those who feel suicidal. Yeah. And that's not even close no. to okay. helping postpartum moms out there specifically. You know what I mean? So, so that's you know, something that we need to think about. Yeah. Definitely. So if you're a postpartum mother, this is our swapping notes PSA to you. Please yeah. reach out to your friends, to your people, to whoever. Uh, I would like to say reach out to us, but it, that might be fruitless because clearly we've got a lot on our plate already. Hi. Let's say hi, Auntie Daphne. Hi, Sayang. And I think for those who are being reached out, uh, yeah. at the end of the day, sometimes we just want to be listened. We don't want your advice. I mean, mothers, mothers who are unloading to another person, for instance. We just want you to listen. We don't need your unsolicited advice and uh, just be there for us. Yeah. So that can be for someone who yeah. is on the receiving end, yeah. right? So if you've been through uh, or have experienced uh, postpartum emotions, uh, positive, negative, whatever, uh, please share them with us at Daphne Iking and at Shaw Ibusaman on Instagram. Uh, for more episodes of Swapping Notes uh, to come, or uh, you want to tell us what to talk about or whatever, please uh, subscribe to Daphne's YouTube channel and also like Daphne Iking's Facebook page. Well, that's all for us for now. Episode 2 is done. Let's give ourselves a big round of applause because, you know, small wins. We must celebrate Yay! small wins. Yay! We will be back with more. Oh, okay, got soundtrack there for you. Can hear not? Nah, soundtrack. Awesome. We will be back with more episodes. As mentioned by Cheryl, if you have any feedback, please, please, please log on and give us your feedback over our Instagram or social media pages and we'll be more than happy to reply then. In the meantime, this is Daphne Iking. And this is Cheryl Ibusawan. Signing and off. And we are signing off. Bye. Bye.